Hi everyone, this is Dave Newbert, Marketing Director for Eagle Eye Power Solutions, and welcome to our podcast, DC Power Hour, the show where we will discuss everything related to, you guessed it, critical DC power solutions. So charge up, power on, or do whatever it takes to get yourself excited for the episode of DC Power Hour. Thanks everyone again for joining another episode of DC Power Hour. We have got a special guest in our studio here at, at Eagle Eye Power headquarters, our good friend, Lucas Burnt, and our, our product expert when it comes to battery chargers. And we will be joined remotely by our one of our famous co-hosts from the Battery Blarney duo, George Peterson. George and Lucas, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you very much. Great to be here. It's good to see George again. Yeah, when's the last time you guys crossed paths? Back on, I think. No, wasn't it the training in the summer? Yes, training in the summer, open house. Summer. Yes, yeah. it was definitely less snow on the ground back then, and it was a bit warmer. <laughs> yeah, I hope that some of the snow melts by the time I get up there next week. I think others will get a little more this week, but then it'll melt off. You'll be all right. Yeah. I mean, it's only... like snow. Yeah. Anyway, how are you doing, sir? How is the uh, charger business? Are oh. you making, you know... Be able to meet well. deliveries now and catch up with all that part of it. Yeah, we've we've been able to kind of cross some hurdles that previously kind of held us up on the supply side. You know, trains don't move as fast as we all want them to to get us our parts and pieces, um, and so it's it's getting a lot better. Still fighting a few things here and there. I talked to a freighter yesterday, or excuse me, day before yesterday, and they were 180 trailers behind because of the last snowstorm that went through the east, eastern seaboard. So, and that's just one. I'm I'm sure there's many, many others that are having problems. So do the best you can do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The thing is, though, that, you know, as you as you realize, we're starting to get a lot of interest in modular chargers, a lot more than we used to, which is, you know, is good news to me, having spent some time back in, in Europe where it was all modular, even all through the utilities. And I was involved in, you know, building and designing and building some of them. So, um are you any idea why it's taken so long for the utilities over here to accept the concept of A, switch mode, and B, modular? There's there's a couple of things at work there. I think it's the idea that switch mode can't be durable, can't be tough. And through the last, you know, many years that we've been in production, we've certainly proven that it can be, and then some, as far as durability. It's certainly not just the durability that you think about for the daily use or the environmentals or what Mother Nature can do to it, but also the installers. One of my greatest fears or concerns about the industry is, you know, the passing on of information to people that are joining the industry, getting into the industry, and we keep passing on that knowledge and looking towards to new things. And so that's a big part of it. Hence why we're on this, we're doing the podcast stuff and we do so much outreach and education. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's what my job here is at Eagle Eye is the education side of it, really. But I, I totally agree with you on that aspect because the there is a distinct lack of knowledge at all levels within and we talk we talk about the utility because that's where we're working in most, but it's it's applicable all over. I hear, you know, I hear comments from other industries. When I was at the IEEE meeting a few weeks ago down in Savannah, there were other people talking about it, and it was exactly the same thing. You simply can't find. We've offshored so much of our knowledge, not 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 maybe the 
the uh, the design side in some cases, but the actual integration, the people that know how to put stuff together and make it work as a system. That's what we're really short of. There's nobody like that around. And that's, in fact, that's one of the advantages we have with the modular charger is that we get rid of a lot of the wiring that we were using when we were when we had standalone units. Do you, have you seen any problems with people doing changeouts or anything like that, or changing out a, a, a modular system, or changing out a standalone for a modular system? I think, by and large, the changeouts are some of my favorite things to do. Actually, the teams when we go out visit various installers or technicians when they go to installs. Um, they love it for the fact of that it is very easy. They're not beat up. They're not physically taxed because those SCR chargers in some cases get extremely heavy and it prolongs the work day then longer than it should. And uh, doing something like what, what we offer is a much better choice. And then you're not taking people out potentially for the, ne the next day's work because they're too beat up or some, or worst case, somebody gets hurt, which you don't want, obviously. But the integration installs are always very smooth and easy find that regularly mm -hmm. yeah so, it's, yes. it's nothing else i expect because i know that in all the visits i ever make to substations and that i'm absolutely amazed where some of those our chargers are mounted you know i, I look at it and go thank god I'm, I'm not a service engineer any longer <laughs> yeah they do get creative and they have to as to where they can put things and they do the best with what they have to work with i've seen more than a couple installations when they're going to remove the SCR where they have to get very creative and you have to do it safely. And, and safety sometimes takes a backseat, which you don't want, but again, they're, they do the best they can do. Yeah, that's very true. I think that's the thing I like most about the switch mode and the modular side of it is this fact that you remove all those challenges. Yeah, but one of the things, Lucas, that I, I really like about the modular chargers is, is the fact that uh, at a location, just by adding one small charger, we suddenly have full N plus one redundancy. And that makes life from an operation side a lot easier because rather than having, you know, if you have a charger failure at two o'clock in the morning, which is bound to be when they fail, it's a matter of principle, mm -hmm. um, that what will happen is that they just simply sit there and wait till tomorrow morning and tell the service people that, you need to take one little charger out and go and change it. Whereas if it was an SCR charger, then the next worry would be is, well, will this battery actually hold up for eight hours while we get the charger changed out? Dead on. Yeah. We see that quite often where, um, you know, it plays into public perception and what you hear publicly that, you know, all these at the utility level, they have hundreds, if not thousands of people ready to go into action when a major event happens like a storm and it's just not the case and from a level of service that they can provide to their customer if the charger can absorb a hit or two but still keep producing to support the load support the sub where they can get to it eventually and it just makes for a better safer environment all the way around yeah because even if you lose another charger but you know God help us, but if they produce another charger, oh, you agree, it's still, the rest of them are still going to be supplying the load. Mm -hmm. And any extra that it needs is going to be taken from the battery. So the, the battery is now maybe not an eight-hour battery, it might be a 20-hour battery. You know, it's just, it's it's that ability to 
manage, shall we say. I, I always I try to look at it from an operational point of view a lot of the times. But one of the problems I think we have is that there are not a lot of people out there that on the service side that have ever done operations. Mm -hmm. And it's two totally different attitudes to what you're doing. That's correct. You you have to maintenance is one thing, but when things are going on, events, managing your way through it as an operation, it is a very different scenario. Very different. Part of understanding the redundancy is also looking at it from the specification standpoint. When a utility says they need redundancy, well, that that can mean several things. Do you need redundancy for potential failures or do you need redundancy for potential failures? Plus you're trying to increase your ability to recover the load and asking questions on the front end can save a lot of hard work, heartache, and, and certainly money after the fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's, that's very true. It's, it's all about the actual system design, understanding what the system load is to start with. Because quite often what you're told is not actually representative of what's actually happening. Or in some cases, they don't actually know what's happening. Yes. You know, um, you know the utilities are, when, you, when you're dealing in the telecom side or the data center, they've normally got a pretty good idea about how long they anticipate the system to run. Mm -hmm. You don't always get that. When you ask the question, a lot of people don't know. That is no. correct. The, you get into a lot of these sites and, you know, there's a standard for every site. The batteries are this size. They should last for this long. Well, some stations are older, will not have the temperature environmentals to get you that far. So from an operational standpoint, if you know there's going to be problems, you know it's going to be the older subs that don't have quite the temperature controlled environments, the good environments for these batteries to live and survive in. It changes the dynamic very quickly, even for what the load they can support, even though they were designed for it, the environment's not going to allow for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of the challenges they have is that you know, when we talk about redundancy, yes, when we change the old SCR out for one of your switch mode chargers, we gain redundancy on the charger side, but we still don't get redundancy on the battery side. And that is that becomes the larger challenge. Mm -hmm. I see it's, it's trying to work out how you can best do that because often, as you said, a lot of these a lot of these buildings that we're in are ancient almost. Mm -hmm. I can remember being on a, a substation on the outskirts of DC where it still had the cottage there that the substation manager used to live in. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. The the guy who pulled the switches, yeah, absolutely. Yep, that was his cottage, you know. And believe me, they hadn't done much to the building that had all the, the switch gear in it. Nope, it was still the same. Oh, goodness. Yeah. You know, but so, yeah, I think about that one every time I think about how to get another second battery into a location. And it, it's going to be a challenge. Mm -hmm. it, it will be the, if you're not going to increase your redundancy, you got to increase your battery capacity to cover through an event. And the... <clears throat> structure itself has to allow for the care of that extra string or that battery plus the power of it. It is also up to the maintenance people. Are they educated in the chemistry of it, how to maintain and check and test and look for potential uh, 
failures ahead of time to make sure they are ready when something happens. Cause it's not a matter of, you know, if it's when, when. Yes. Yeah. It's, I hate to say it, but that's one of the things that comes with a head of gray hair is the, is the knowledge that this idea that it will never happen just doesn't exist. Right. You've right. got to remember that Murphy rules. He does. Yep. He is around. Yep. He's always lurking around the corner. Yeah, um, he's there, you know. Hey guys, can I can I ask a dumb question on redundancy? Absolutely. What's the difference between n plus one, n plus two, and the different levels of redundancy? Is that an important consideration when it comes to the batteries and the chargers? I'll let you answer that one, Lucas. Oh, you give me the hard questions. Great. Basically, what I look for when I'm looking for redundancy in in talking about pluses, you know. That also is variant from utility to utility, what they view as redundancy. So they may look at it from the standpoint of my redundancy in my equation is I need, if this charger fails, I need to have the exact same power it had available. Or is their term redundancy? I can lose a little, but I still maintain. So you have to kind of wander through the weeds of them, what they interpret as redundancy. That's that's what I find in the field more than anything, is to figure out what they feel is redundancy. And it goes from station to station. A nuclear station is going to be highly scrutinized, and they're going to be very specific in their mind about what redundancy is, where a retail station that's maybe taking care of a shopping center, shopping mall, you know, they're going to look for redundancy is how many failures can I have before I'm totally dead in trouble right or wrong that's that's what I find yeah they, you're absolutely right it, to, to come back to your actual question n when you talk about n on a modular charger system David what we're trying n is the number of rectifiers we need to support the load mm -hmm. and the recharge that's the bit that often gets missed out when people are doing the calculation for what the charger size should be is you are, you know, you need enough power in the charger to be able to power the load, the continuous load on a, on a substation. You don't, you don't necessarily size the charger to actually power the step loads when they switch something that's covered by the battery in data centers. It's slightly different, but the, the N plus one. So you've got N number of rectifiers, the modular rectifiers, that will support the load and the recharge, and then you have one extra so that you can lose one of the other rectifiers and still meet N mm -hmm. under all circumstances. And in many cases, it, you know, the, if you depends on the length of time you have, you want to do the recharge in, you may well have two or three extra rectifiers in there that are there just to provide the recharge. Mm-hmm. So the so, higher the number, the higher the level of redundancy that's needed. But, right? Yeah, but it, but the n n n is all, n's the one that has the variable number. Then you only have either one or two extra chargers. But as I say, in most cases, if the system has been sized correctly, you'll have covered the recharge within X number of hours, which takes extra power. Remember, if you've got a fully discharged battery and you have to recharge it within 10 hours, 12 hours, you will have a lot more rectifiers in there than are normally used, than are normally needed. So under those circumstances, you could actually afford to lose 
the one. I, I've actually seen members that sized the systems with, they didn't bother with the, the, the plus one. They just used end rectifiers, but they had enough in the system to do the recharge. And that recharge rectifier actually provided the, the, the redundancy. One thing but to keep it, in mind. But on you that. have to understand. The thing you've got to understand is uh, what what does the customer want? You know, they have it, everybody has a different interpretation of what we're talking about. There's there's a variable there on those batteries, though, when talking at n plus one or n plus two, and so on. When the original size is installed, and these batteries are twenty or fifty year lifespan, which in reality they're five and six, so it's really getting them. They make the choice to go back in with a different battery after the fact, did you resize the charger? If you did not, or you could, sadly, what it's been like the last couple of years, you got, you went with what you could get, which probably was different. Is your charger sized appropriately? Is it undersized? And then what you thought was this N plus one plus two and, and so on, that equation gets destroyed because it's changed or they've added load to the system and not done the math to resize the battery and the charger appropriately. So the, the idea of that we see a lot is we'll just go back with what was there. That, that can be dangerous because is it right? What was right 15 years ago? Is it right today on the installation? So you have to watch that very closely i couldn't agree more because that is so that's exactly it this idea that you continue just to put the same in again you know it's the same term you haven't you've got to go back and look and just see how much has changed mm. telecom companies were the worst for that they they just you know somebody goes in and plugs something else in there's a new circuit right. there's a new this and right. all of a sudden you're looking at the charger and you're going why is it butting up against the end of the meter? <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's you know, it, it, it follows the same lines. And this is what really kind of sobers people to the conversation is, you know, think of it like a town. A town with 10,000 people and you have three fire stations. The town swells to 20,000. Your three fire stations are no longer sufficient. You have to add more fire stations. Or you have to add more hospitals, build more schools. These stations, more and more gets put on them. Are you adding to accommodate that? Are you adding to accommodate it? Or are you just maintaining what was there 15 years ago? And it's a bigger scope, bigger question that can really get complicated very quickly. And from the engineer design side, they know what they're designing for, what they're doing. But where it falls out of place is we go back in with the same thing we used to have and it's overlooked. It's, it's overlooked. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Changing the subject slightly though, the, sure. the, I sat in on the codes and standards meeting while I was down in Savannah and my ear was bent about a number of new UL standards and requirements for chargers. What do you know about that side of it? Because they talked about the numbers. They didn't tell you what it was. They just talked about the numbers. So yeah, there's as a organization that is UL listed, registered, certified, 
and we get the surprise inspections, that is bringing a new dynamic to it. And it is circling around things like energy regulations. It is circling around components and what I interpreted was a little bit of sourcing. That's also even moving up towards the federal government level. Certainly within the last two plus years, the federal government's getting involved into not regulating, but they want you to prove you know where your stuff's coming from. It's almost uh, somewhat of a, you're familiar with such reports? Yes, yes, very much so. So it's it's kind of like that, but it's also based on a security platform. And don't want to go into too many details on that, but we have some programs in place already to kind of be ahead of that because we could kind right. of see it coming because that leads down the rabbit hole of cyber. And that's a, that could be its own 10-hour podcast, I bet. Oh, yeah, it's um, cyber is another of those problems. But the, the conflict I'm aware of, because at one point in my previous job, we were working with Motorola. And they were very, very strong on that. Yeah. They wanted to know where every one of our chips or power transistors, especially the power transistors, where did they come from? Mm-hmm. Who's making them? Mm-hmm. What's their you know, ability what, to prove where they're getting the material from? Sure. You know, it's it was a it was a key part of everything. We, you know, part of just working for them as a subcontractor. Sure. Change the subject on a little, George. We're something for redundancy that that gets missed. You know, you, you highlighted about operations and how operations and operations management is very different than maintenance mentality. So from an operations maintenance standpoint, I've had firsthand experience with a maintainer who was very, co- very colorful on the phone, say that, and excited on the phone about the impending nightmare he was facing replacing a charger because you have to... It's extra people. It's finding the battery trailer, getting everything out there hooked up. And of course, you got to make sure everybody's safe going through this and the extra people it brings along and paperwork. And he was just rattling all this off to me. And I let him get it out and reminded him that he has one module out of the shelf down. He has seven more to go. Go Go ahead and go about your holiday. The linchpin and all that is what they're thinking about historically is those battery trailers. And there's very few of those in an inventory at a utility. And they are sometimes used a little more regularly than they probably should. And they go down a lot of awful roads, get beat up pretty badly. And the maintainers don't see that until it's too late. Yeah. I, the, the the whole idea of battery trailers or portable generators, DC generators, was something that was quite strong at one point mm-hmm. on the telecom side or the cellular side, effectively. Mm-hmm. Although they now most of the places have now moved over and gone to AC generators to to back up the whole site. Yes, it, it, it's this this whole idea of you know we don't have any salesman present, so I'll, I won't get kicked off this time. But you know. Quite often when I'm talking about or teaching people about modular chargers, I, I make the comment about the old Geico ad, you know, when they talked about even a caveman could do it. I said, well, changing out a modular battery is exactly the same. Even a salesman can do it. There you go. There you go. You know, you can you can basically co-opt Hemney to go out and change that rectifier out 
you don't you don't need a full the service crew to go and do it. No, and it can be done one hundred percent safely with, you know, you could, you should be able to do it without even putting any airplash gear on. I would hope. Yeah, it is pretty easy, pretty safe, pretty fast. The uh, what a lot of people though, and we will continue to have this conversation at the operation level, at the maintainer level, where the the pickup you're going to see on this, we hope you never do. Because if you see the benefit, something bad has happened. And they will see that benefit when things are going south, when they do have a finite amount of resources to bring into play to operationally recover their, whatever bad event has happened. So it is a limited amount of resources. And, and it has to be, you know, everybody's pockets have bottoms and, and there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, this is probably our biggest challenge at the present moment. In all aspects of what we're doing, when we look at system design, the batteries, the chargers, is that you just got to understand that the, the people that are going to be available do not have the knowledge in most cases that their predecessors did or the, their predecessors, predecessors, you know, type thing. Mm-hmm. But I think about it when I was doing service when I first came to the US, it was all SCR or, or in some cases, fellow resident chargers I was working on. And, um, I used to carry the boards with me, you know, if there was a problem, I fixed it on site. Mm -hmm. The only time I, you know, if I had to change the uh, semiconductors, that was a, I had them, but it was not always the most pleasant job to do. As you well know, Mm -hmm. you basically, the whole thing of bits to get at them. Now that can get, you know, that can get you worried a little bit when you're, um, when you've got the system running on the battery and you're trying to fix the charger and you discover you've got to change the semiconductors mm-hmm. and you're going, I hope this battery lasts. Exactly. Now, I, I will say I have seen in the last 10 months some pretty significant strides forward. And what it was, um, now I, I the infrastructure to pull this off I, I'm not going to say it's nothing because the infrastructure behind the scenes, I think, was pretty involved. But I was witnessing where a customer who had chargers and batteries deployed throughout what they call the subdivision, which is essentially three quarters of a state. And it was a test case. And what they were able to do was from the maintainer's truck, he would Wi Fi his laptop, he could pull up every location, go in and look directly at the charger's website in browser and see exactly what was happening if an alarm happened. So he, she was, you know, 200 miles away, an alarm could come in, he could look and see, is this a moment to roll trucks? Or is this just this temperament of this location? And we know it's got a personality and this happens once in a while. And it was really fascinating to watch it, the speed at which they could move through the network, manage things happening. It was amazing. But the infrastructure, I can't even believe, begin to think what was, what went on there. I'm sure it was extensive. Well, uh, I, the, the problem I see, but I, I totally agree that that is the most, you know, when I look back, I put my service hat on again. Yeah. It's exactly what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to look at it. I want to be able to bury right dead into the middle of it and make a decision as to what to do. Mm-hmm. The biggest challenge we have today, though, is that by the time you start putting all the cybersecurity restrictions in, 
it's very difficult to do it. They are very suspicious of wireless. Yes. You know, I know that within our own our monitoring system, for instance, we have to make sure that the uh, the Wi-Fi is turned off. It's mm. it's disabled within the module, you mm -hmm. know, because it exists on the on the, the the computer board, but it has to be disabled because they do not want Wi-Fi or any access like that, you know. And I know some of the utilities are looking at establishing wireless networks themselves within, you know, private networks within the cellular network, one of the carriers, and using that. But then they're going to find they come up other against other problems because, you know, that charger is inside secure body that is the substation. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get people saying, well, you kind of a wireless network coming in there as well. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, then it's going to come back to the training that people can't can't interconnect between the two. Yeah, you know, that, that's the, so. But you you've got some interesting ways that you handle changes within the the, the charger, don't you? Yes, yes, we do have some features that protect against any nefarious activity. You know, I'm, you know, I'm quick to say that I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. You need to worry about your network's ability at that point. And this is this now, mind you, this is technology we've had in the charger for going on close to seven, eight years now. And we're just now seeing people testing this and running this route. And it has saved multiple instances where you would have rolled trucks, you would have people going. And they were able to see to the redundancy of. Oh yeah, something did happen there. We got a guy driving by in two days. We'll get it then. We'll catch it then. Mm -hmm. And so from an operational standpoint, that person has to be trained enough to understand this is a redundant piece of equipment. It can handle it versus someone who is untrained to go, Ooh, this, this is not good. We need to get out there. We need to get people involved. And those people don't just walk in off the street teaching training industry experience oh no i i told you i've I had a, a perfect example with one of the very large government departments down in dc that i got summoned down there very urgently to fix a problem there was an alarm light on on a, on a ups monitor and he wanted it fixed or otherwise as the facilities director told me he was going to take the cover off and put his snips inside and cut the damn thing out. Don't, no, don't do that. No, but, but you know, that was, I got the message and I said to him, well, you got to get me my pass. And no, that'll take a couple of days. I had my pass sent to me within 10 minutes. So I got the message that I was wanted down there very urgently. And I went down there and I showed him exactly what he had to do to get rid of the alarm. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, you know, I've shown you this before and all the rest of it, you know, didn't need to pull me down here to do this. I got on very well with him. And he pointed out to me that, you know, we were in his office and he had a long table along the longest wall and it was just covered with PCs. Mm -hmm. And everyone was connected to something in the building and monitoring it. Oof. And mine was at the very end. And as he pointed out, he didn't have a hope in hell of knowing how to operate every one of them at, e at the greatest of detail. Yeah. 
he knew what to do on all of them at some point. Like he, as he said, I can go into yours and look at the readings once a month, and that's what I do. Mm -hmm. But that brings it home, just what you're talking about, is the challenges that come. How do you teach people to be able to do it? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are seeing this interconnected theory of operation, and they're worried about, well, with these redundant chargers and these redundant systems, am I going to be a needed entity in this? And the answer is unequivocally, absolutely. Absolutely. I There is nothing that is manufactured in this world that won't break. Nothing. Not mm -hmm. any product. Um, things will break. Things will go bad. That's why you're here. And so we can design and build things that are great and run, run and do the best job. But at the end of the day, stuff does break. And that's just everybody's succumb to that. Everyone will. So. Yeah. But, you know, part of that, though, also is the fact that uh, when I, as, as you know, at one point I used to have six engineers working for me back in the UK, building chargers and power supplies. And uh, I remember the arguments I had with the financial director he wanted to cut our burn-in time oh, by sure. half because he looked at the electricity bill. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and he and he also looked at the uh, the number of failures and said that the number of failures we were seeing in the burn-in after two days was totally acceptable. And I said, no, it's not. It's not acceptable at all. And we had it was a very interesting argument we had about it. I won in the end for a while. I think it changed the moment I left and came back to the States. But it was, you know, but you're, you're the same. You do a good burning on your units because it's it's absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. What's the burn-in time? For us in our process, what burn-in is to us is we take the modules and we run them at full power, full output for four hours and it is in data log, data recorded to see its behavior in small component, surface mount, electronics, infant mortality. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen very quickly. But in our situation, where we're, what we're building and what it's going into, knowing that somebody could get hurt or something bad could happen, that's not something we can, we want to worry about. We want to be very confident about for, for our end user. So George, George, I'm going to put you on the spot. One, why not? Yeah. From a, you know, you and I've worked together for quite some time. And so I, I fully expect your honesty. What could, what are things that could be done better to bring awareness about the advances in technology where we can make incremental strides in the redundancy on this redundancy topic. What can be done better? It's, How do we get the message better out? One of the problems we have, I, 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 I was looking at that, I've been trying to clear up my basement and I found a whole pile of this stuff that I've collected over the years, including lots of press releases and that when I was running my own company and doing filters in a power plug. And what I realized was that when I looked at it, we sold so many of those through putting new product releases in magazines that used to be published on a regular basis over in the UK and they were over here as well. They were just big glossy magazines, almost like a small newspaper filled with product releases or the latest product or, you know, a change in it or a modification. 
Um, and to be honest, that's where I got most of my information from. And when we were selling the plug, we had it in lots of them. We had various other places as well. But what I got it was that that's where a lot of people caught on to it. They've seen it. The problem we have today is, I think, is that we no longer have that type of magazine out there. So how do the people that are working actually get that information? We don't, we don't have it on, there's no website where you can go and do that sort of search. Most of the stuff I ever find that's new, I fall over by accident in most cases, rather than actually find it when I'm looking for it. Sure. And, you know, in, in the early days of Google, it was great. Today, much to David's pleasure, you know, you can buy getting your product to the top of the list. Yeah. It isn't necessarily the one that everybody wants to see. Sure. But, you know, you can get it there. So that's I think that is one of our biggest challenges is is educating people at the work level. Mm -hmm. we, we, we're we doing very well on our social media. No mm -hmm. question at all about that. In fact, when I was at, um, we were at a conference in Seattle last last year, middle of the year, I was on the, I was on the booth with Eric and Luke and I was, I was speaking the next day. And a gentleman came up to me and said, I want to talk to you about your social media. I keep telling these people here that you have the best social media in the, this industry. And I said, well, thank you very much. <laughs> and I said to him, hold on, how do you know to come and talk to me about it? He said, because in the social media, you're always on it. He said, I looked across the room. He said, I know who that is. And he came across and talked to me. Sure. But but it was it, what he made the point was, and it, that was interesting to me at least. It was more about the fact that we talked and showed pictures of what we were doing, mm -hmm. and he said that's a lot more realistic than a fancy graphic and sure. some figures. And that's that's the challenge is is getting the the message to these to the people that are designing the systems, working the systems, servicing them, maintaining that we do have the ability to make life a little bit easier. We're not going to take away every problem because that's impossible, but to show them what they could be doing better for their grid. For their grid. One of the other things I think we, we I, I did for one of the utilities, I won't say which one, but I ended up doing three free trainings. Mm -hmm. of, the first one was an hour. The second one was to the first interval in the morning. And the third one I had all morning. Sure. Because they were, I was getting so many questions, basically. It was all just about batteries, battery systems, and, and monitoring. And they were the PEs getting their CEUs to keep their licenses. Mm -hmm. And they used basically that utility put a whole day of training on and then had speakers come in from the industry to do it. Now, the, the problem is it was free, you know, and... Um, you know, as David would tell you, there's there's nobody in our management system now who would like the idea of me going and doing and traveling halfway around the country to do something for free. But it's it's maybe one of the areas because we definitely got inquiries after that. Uh, I don't know. And we're, actually, and we're actually selling your chargers into that particular utility, so you'll know you'll probably know who I'm talking about now. Yeah. I will say the thumbs up from David off camera. He's giving me a thumbs up on free stuff. So we're, we're in the clear. Okay. But no, it, I think that the advantage of that is that you're actually talking to the people that are on the design side. Mm -hmm. 
which is not the ones you normally get to talk about when you're in trying to sell anything or even the people that are sent there to do training. Sure. Because it's up. But it's um, that, I think, is an area where we, we should be looking at okay. and, and, and helping them. Because that way, as I said, you can definitely get, you're getting to the people that are doing the design work. It, it, it It's hard work. I, I actually, I had the reps, it was the reps that, convinced us to do it for free so um i had a couple of the reps with me and they were talking to people as well but if we were to do that on our own we really would have to have sales or somebody else there to make sure that they could talk to other people as well because you can't as a speaker you can't spend all your time you know the first the first one we did i said well where is it oh it's in it's in their uh, headquarters in their conference room mm-hmm. i walked into the conference room it was a theater oh boy about 133 engineers sitting there. Nice. And I'm going, what the hell am I doing here? Well, well, I will tell you this, George. For the next training you want to do, I do have a demonstration I can do live online for showing redundancy and failures, and they can see it in real time. So when you're ready. Okay, that, that, that. that, that sounds very good because, as David will tell you, we are looking, having now done, you know, the virtual training for the FAA now for we're in our third year, and I do the virtual. I think we understand it better than most people. Sure. And it's, it is the way it's going to go because it's the only way that most of these companies can actually get the people trained because they can't afford to let them go and travel. Yes. The, as the intellectual capital drops off and the pool gets smaller, they're very particular about who goes where. I definitely can relate there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Hey guys, can we, can I, can I just get us to wrap it up here with, with a final thought from each of you? I was just kind of thinking for our audience, maybe one final thought from each of you on what are the, the key considerations that, that someone should look at as they're, as they're looking to outfit their substation with a new charger or or they're looking to upgrade their system? What, in the, all this talk that we've had today about chargers, what are the most important considerations in your opinion when it comes to looking at what kind of charger is best for your system? George, you want to go first? I can go first on that one. It, 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 the, the, to me, there's no question at all about it with the fact that any of our people, including the utilities now, because they are also looking for redundancy. That's the the one thing that are there are some new rules come out within NERC about they want to remove single points of failure within the network. And they are, they are, the, the network power systems have been traditionally single points of failure, one charger, one battery. So, But the key to that is going to be able to size the charger correctly. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to go in and start. Lucas talked about earlier. You're going to have to go in from the start and start and do it all over again because you, you, you didn't take just what's there and try to duplicate it because you could easily get in trouble playing that one. So you've got to, you'd have to go back and design the system again. And the challenge is going to be, can I get the, the two sets of batteries in the space of one, which will, which I know, I know how to do it, but we have to go and start using the European style battery, the tall, thin ones. And there are, there, there are people that love them. And there are other people that absolutely hate them. But that is that is going to be the solution for a great deal of those substations. Because you can you can basically in the same depth, 
you can put too high, too deep. Whereas with a standard US style battery rack, you're getting too high, one deep. Mm-hmm. And that's how you'll achieve it with the with the, the narrower batteries and the and the, the redundant chargers like yours. So you're I done. Think, <laughs> I agree with you what you said. It's it's going to come down to, you know, redundancy is an outstanding thing that the utilities certainly must must look to embrace that will free up resources, make them more resilient long term. Resilience is the key. You want to be resilient, but the charger will will certainly give them a piece of that. It's not the total package. Unfortunately, you have to have the right size batteries to accommodate what the load is today and the foresight to look at what it could be down the road as much as you can forecast that. There's no crystal ball, but you have to look to the future because these are very expensive investments and you want to do your diligence. Um, but the charger redundancy is a great place to start. It does help with eliminating points of failure and we'll just make it that much better when sadly enough, we're, we're preparing for bad things to happen and the better prepared we are, the better we come out the other end. I can, I, I'm just going to add one more thing to that, David, because as I was sitting, listening to Lucas is that when you are, if you are talking about putting a charger in there with the eventual requirement to put duplicate to redundant batteries in there, then depending on where the load is, you should be looking at the size of the chassis to make sure that you can actually put enough rectifiers in there to handle the recharge on two battery strings, not one. Mm-hmm. Correct. And that is, there's nothing worse than finding yourself looking at this thing and you've got two more chargers to plug in and there's no space. <laughs> yes, very, very true. Very true. It, it's but it's something we should also probably talk to our salespeople about when they're doing it, and to the customer. Mm-hmm. That maybe should be part of the uh, the sizing process. Uh, there you go. There's a new topic: site assessment. Sure. Site yeah. site assessment. How much can we fit in the five pound box? <sighs> right. Right. The next problem. Yeah. Um, Great. Okay. All right. Well, th- thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Lucas, for joining us. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And, and George, thanks again for your time and insights. And can't wait till the next one. Alrighty. Okay. Thanks, thanks everyone. Take it. Thanks, Lucas. We hope you can join us next time. And in the meantime, if you have any questions for the Battery Blarney Duo or anything else you want us to discuss in next week's episode, please email us at info at eepowersolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you then.